Um, we talked about the vision of our church community. Uh, all churches have the same mission to glorify Christ and to lead others into His kingdom and to see a transformation here in this earth. But each church has a specific mission of how we do that in the communities we're in. We have boiled ours down to just four words of leading people to Jesus. It's active, it is Christ-centered, and it is both leading one another deeper into His presence, as we talked about last week. If you weren't able to be here or watch last week's sermon, I encourage you to go back and give it a listen as we shared about the five different tools the church historically has used to lead one another deeper into relationship with Jesus, and to know that Learning and growing in Jesus is a lifelong process of knowing Him and encouraging one another to know Him more. Today, we're going to talk about leading people to Jesus outside of the church. What is our call to do that? How do we do that together? And what I wanted to share in opening is a bit about what we've done last year in the mission of leading people to Jesus outside of our four walls at Pennington AG Church. If you're a member of the church or you can, you can come and observe on February 5th, we'll talk in detail about what God was doing in and through our church in 2022. But I just wanted to give us some context as we walk in. Kingdom Builders in last year, 2022, is just a term we use for how we partner in missions, how we partner with missionaries around the world, how we partner with programs that both share the gospel in telling and teaching about Jesus, us and live out the gospel in bringing kingdom principles into this world, feeding those who are hungry, caring for those who are broken, bringing relief to those who are vulnerable. Kingdom Builders and our missional plan does all of that. I want to give you a big celebration as the pastor that is uh, humbly gifted to be able to work and serve alongside of you, that we gave more than $77,853 last year to missions around the world. Give yourselves a round of applause. That is a massive amount for a church of our size to be having impact and sharing around the world. We have 29 different missionaries around the world and locally that we support with, partner with, give to. And I want to just spotlight five areas that we, that we were able to partner with last year. The first is in the beginning of the year, and I don't want us to move too quickly past this about what God was able to do in our church. We partnered with Ukraine Relief through Convoy of Hope. Here are some of the images from Convoy of Hope, the ministry we directly partnered with, making an impact for those refugees who have lost homes, who have lost businesses, who are vulnerable due to a war started in the beginning of 2022. We were able to, because of your generosity, immediately move into partnering with that ministry and as a leadership team, make that decision quickly to partner with them to provide relief right away. We were able to do that because of your regular generosity. We partner with Teen Challenge, which is one of our favorite ministry partners. If you're unfamiliar with Adult and Teen Challenge, um, it is a program that helps bring relief to those struggling with addiction. And it is historically for the last 30 years, the most successful drug and alcohol rehabilitation program in the world. They work to help bring men and women, both teenagers and adults, through the process of freedom from addiction, and for many of them, leading them into that freedom through a relationship with Jesus Christ. We're able to partner with Lebanon, New Jersey, our 
New Jersey Campus of Teen Challenge because of what you gave last year. We partnered with our kids camp and you can see images of what we were able to do last year, partnering with our community and serving families in Pennington, in Mercer County, through our kids camp. We were able to partner with InterVarsity. Um, our, teen ch- uh, our college students who are a part of our church here on stage, around, um, to be able to be blessed to have the program that we get to serve with at TCNJ, at Rutgers, Camden, in New Jersey, in Binghamton, New York, we partner with the next generation. And I have got to see it impact our staff here at the church, the missionaries that we support. Four of them are students who came through InterVarsity who then got called into missions. We get to partner with them through programs like InterVarsity and the generosity you've given. I went through and for each of these programs, looked back at images and pictures and prayed through. And when I went through NJCF, our local Trenton, uh, Ewing, New Jersey college campus, so many of their images were also of them meeting here on our property, getting to meet outside, having services here, downstairs, using our equipment, truly partnering with the next generation that God is investing in in our church. And to all of our TCNJ students, we love you. We are so grateful to partner with you and how many of you have served here on stage and are even running computers in the back, serving in our kids' ministry. We are so grateful to partner with the next generation. And then lastly, church plants. Thinking and praying in this new year, uh, we got to partner with a church plant that was planted in the middle of a pandemic in the middle of the summer of 2020 in Connect Church in New Jersey, 30 minutes away, sending Pastor Frank in that church. We still partner every year with Church Multiplication Network in New Jersey to see churches like Connect Church being planted, being encouraged, being resourced, because the mission is not done in New Jersey until every man, woman, and child has gotten a chance to know the love and care they are given through Christ Jesus. Amen? When we give missionally as a church, we are declaring and saying that leading people to Jesus is bigger than just our Sunday morning services. It's bigger than just our small groups. It's bigger than the Bible studies we do on our own. It is a global, eternal mission that we are privileged to partner with and to see God do and work. I am so proud of what this church has done and partnered with, how God has used us, the ministries we've got to partner with. Today, we are talking about that mission of leading people to Jesus. We will talk about our global missions We will talk about what God has called each of us to do individually with the story he's doing in our life. When I was uh, in college, I shared a story a few weeks ago of standing on the platform and me being creepy and sharing with people my loneliness. I had another moment on the train as well where I felt like God brought me together with this other young man on the train. I saw him traveling several times. And so we started up a conversation. He was outgoing, sharing with me about life. Um, He came with me to church several times. And over a period of time, I started to realize that he was evangelizing me. He was working me to lead me to a worldview and a mission he had. One day, finally, he with like great nervousness and shared with me and invited me to a service where we would go out into the woods and we would pray with the trees and we would hear the tree spirits speak to us. And all of a sudden I said, oh, whoa, this has moved sideways very quickly. And I said, hey, I I love you. I'm grateful for this relationship. Um, I'm not interested in, in hearing the spirit 
roots of our trees and praying over them. I do pray for this world God's given us, but it reminded me that all of us, all of us 8 billion human beings have a worldview of how we see life, humanity, what's happening in our world that whether we articulate it or not, influence and shares who we are. And the more excited and more we believe in that, it flows out of us. Whether that is that we believe we partner with and we share and pray over the trees and the forest, or whether that is we believe in a God who loves us, carefully created this world, put his image in us, and loved us dearly through his son, Christ Jesus. We each have a story that we're living and sharing. Over the last few years, it's become more and more apparent that we struggle in Western society with the idea of what our purpose is in life, why I exist, what the meaning is of my life. We see so many things changing even just over the last three years of global pandemic and internet change. We see that the way we work has changed. We don't work communally in the same way we used to. Our work doesn't have the same meaning and value it does. For a lot of our baby boomer generation and even my older millennials to see work as I work in one place my whole life, I commit into that job and I work, that has changed into, I'm not defined by my work. I work a few years, I move to another job, I, I move into that elevation, and that's not anything good or bad. It's just a changing perspective of where we find our value. So many of us no longer find our value in the careers and jobs that we do. So where do we find our value? We find shifting cultures in how we find our value in our ethnic identity, our family identities. You still find it in close-knit communities and families that lived in one neighborhood together, in one home together. In my wife's family, there's a lot of Puerto Rican families that still hold to this idea that there's all of these tias and tios, aunts and uncles, deeply involved in life. But for many of us in Western culture, we not only have just a nuclear family of five people and we're good, but oftentimes now we grow up and I'm good on my own. I'll figure this out on my own. I'm going to work out my truth in my life. Again, there's not a right or wrong in this, but to understand as we transform and move in this direction, we now, I don't find my identity in my work, I don't find my identity necessarily in my culture, my ethnicity, or my home. Where do I find my identity? Even socialization has changed. The close-knit groups of friends, I'm now on the internet, connected with my friends over there. We interact in person significantly less than we did even three years ago. We identify with our friend groups less closely and intimately than we did. All of this leading to what sociologists and psychologists have called a crisis of identity, a crisis of who am I? How do I fit in this world and where's my purpose? The sad thing and the thing I struggle with is it doesn't look that different inside of churches than it does outside of it. We're struggling with these same questions and identities. Who am I? Where do I fit? I can change my church when I feel differently about where the church is and where I am. I drive sometimes great distances to go to a different church than the one that I was going to before, trying to figure out who we are. Asking the basic questions, what's my purpose? What am I here for? What am I supposed to do? Rick Warren wrote in a book 20 years ago that was extremely popular and then not popular at all. He wrote, it is not about you. 
The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment. Your peace of mind or even your happiness is far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want why you were placed on this planet, you must start with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. As the church established nearly a millennia and a half ago in the Westminster Catechism, our purpose is to enjoy God forever on this earth, to glorify him and enjoy him. Our purpose is to make him known and to enjoy the process of knowing him. One of my favorite weeks of the year is between Christmas and New Year. We shut down the church. I try to decompress after a busy Advent season and Christmas celebrations and knowing the new year has a lot. And my family is in town. My friends are in town. We get to go and do fun things. This year, we got to go to the Cloisters. If you've never been there, it's a branch of the Metropolitan Museum in New York centered around medieval art. And there's lots of beautiful tapestries. There's a famous unicorn tapestry room um, is what they're most well known for. And then inside, there are all these cloisters, which is um, the center room of a monastery where it's like a little garden in the center. And I like to when I'm in museums now, I can scan on my phone a little QR code and get these small little audio guides. And I like to put an earbud in my ear and pretend as we walk around that I'm an expert. And I listen to it and I tell people like, did you know that these columns are uniquely from uh, the eighth century from a quarry mine in the middle portion of France and Spain? And when they moved them here, that mine had been shut down, that quarry had been shut down for hundreds of years and they reopened that quarry specifically to finish this room in New York. And people were like, wow, you know so much about uh, the quarry and the cloisters. And I'm like, it's a little earbud. Um, this past time, I realized as I was doing that, it's like my own personal bit at, that Kate and I like to do when I'm in museums, but I realized what I was doing also, we came with a group of our family, my brother-in-laws and my sister-in-laws and, and Caitlin and I, and I realized what I was also doing was, I could see it in my brother-in-law's eyes, um, I was kind of making the experience about me, and we weren't sharing the experience communally. And I realized like, all right, as much as I enjoy this bit, I have to turn it off and let us figure out the cloisters together. And to see the value of communal experience, communal discovery. I didn't know it quite as well as I would have with the app telling me in my ear, but we discovered it together. We explored it together, asked questions together. And to see that bond of this is something we are sharing. The best things in life are meant to be shared. A seesaw doesn't work alone. A high five doesn't work alone. Sharing an enormous meal certainly doesn't work alone. You can do it, but I wouldn't say that it works. Brings more sadness than joy. We actually, after the cloisters, went to a Dominican restaurant in the Heights there and shared a ginormous plate of Dominican food, and we just ordered one thing, one giant plate that we shared and ate together. The communal experience elevates what we're learning, who we are, where we're moving. This is true about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's true about the relationship we have with Jesus. His presence, his person is not meant to be hoarded or experienced alone. It's meant to be shared. It's elevated by a communal understanding. 
Every time we invite a new person in to the story of Jesus, it gets better. Every time we invite a new person to hear what Christ is doing, the story gets better. We need to begin by asking ourselves the question, am I in my life being led closer to Jesus? Am I still at this point in my life, whether I've been a follower of Jesus for six months, whether I've been a follower of Jesus for four decades, am I still today, as we talked about last week, being led deeper into relationship with Jesus? Am I still excited by his story? When I read the Gospels, when I hear about Jesus, when I read a story about him reaching out to a woman with a chronic issue of blood, cast off and marginalized by her community, but he reaches out to her and draws her up, does that story still move me? When I see him go into the house of a tax collector and celebrate and as others criticize him point that he had come to restore those back who were struggling and far from God, does that still move me? When I hear the story of his death and resurrection and the sorrow and then joy of that moment, does it still move me? Do I still hold a conviction that Jesus is the solution to all of the world's chaos and brokenness? Do I still hold that deeply in my heart? Do I believe that when I sing these songs, when I read these scriptures, when I'm praying, do I still believe that with deep conviction? Jesus challenges us in a passage in Matthew chapter 5 with this idea. He says in Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16, he says, You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Jesus calls followers of him salt and light. What does salt do? Salt enhances and salt preserves. The two functions of salt. Back in the day before refrigeration was well known, people would just salt like crazy everything. If I just cover it in salt, suck the moisture out, it's going to be dry and it's going to be salty, but it's going to last. It's going to preserve this fish. It's going to preserve this piece of meat so I can eat it weeks and months from now. The salt will preserve it. The salt enhances it. Insider tip, I've been watching a lot of TikTok. My TikTok account is essentially just people cooking food and then people criticizing other people cooking food and then people reacting to those people criticizing the other people cooking food. That's just TikTok. But as I watch them, I learned one key thing about cooking at home. We don't salt enough. If you ask yourself, why does my food not taste like it does in a restaurant? It's salt. Why is it not as powerful as it was in the restaurant? It's salt. Why am I gaining so much weight by eating out all the time? It's salt. That is the key to all of it. If you want, and I've struggled with this for years, if you want your buttered toast at home to taste like it does in the diner, and you say, why is their rye toast so much better than mine at home? It's salt, man. Just put more salt on it. That is what the difference is. And Jesus says, you are salt when you follow me. You are enhancing this world. You are making it better. You are drawing out the good things of this world and making them better. 
the beauty I have put into this world through relationship, the beauty I have put into this world through creation, the beauty I have put into this world through love and grace and generosity and mercy, you, by representing me, are bringing them out of the world and making them better. You are my salt into the recipe of this world. You're making it better. You are the salt that is preserving this world. I'm saving the world through you. You're bringing about my kingdom. You're restoring it. Very few Christians are called to live in a cloister, are called to be a monk. But we are all called to have impact and influence in this world. We're not called to just work on ourselves at home. We are called to work on ourselves in the public eye, to work on ourselves in community, with others seeing what God's doing and working through us and in us. I didn't ask Jesus to die for me, but he did. Before I knew him, he was working to make my life eternally better. And because I know that, I can live as an agent of love because I know I'm loved. I can live as an agent of forgiveness and mercy because I know I am forgiven and shown mercy. I can live as an agent of generosity because great generosity has been shown to me. Because Christ has seasoned my life with his grace and his goodness, I can live as a seasoning to this world. He also says we're a light. We season this world, we're also a light. We shine a light to reveal what the world is supposed to be. Christ shines that light on us. He shines the light and reminds me of where I still need to repent and confess and grow. He shines a light on me to show where he loves and the parts of me that he values and cares about. And he calls us to do the same. Jesus came into the world as a light. He helps us to see every human being has value. He helps us to see that all creation is good. He helps us to see that God is for us and not against us. He helps us to see that there is hope beyond the grave. He helps us to see that forgiveness is real and attainable. He helps us to see what is broken that needs to be healed and that it can be healed. He helps us to see what is dead and can be brought back to life. He is the light of the world shining in and through us, revealing hope. When we believe that the creator of the world came for broken people, he gave his perfect life for us on the cross, and he conquered death through the resurrection, he provides us a light to show eternity in the here and now, a light to show mercy and grace, the light of Christ Jesus. We exist as a mirror or a glass somewhat darkly, as the author of Hebrews says. We shine his light kind of imperfectly because we're imperfect people, but we shine the light that he's living in us. I have a responsibility and a privilege to share with the rest of the world that there is hope beyond the suffering of this world, physical, societal, death itself. I have a light in me that tells me it's not over when I close my eyes on this world. And it's my responsibility to let that hope shine through me. A light that always says there is joy even in the darkest moment. A light that says there is compassion even in suffering. And as we are Jesus, salt and light, we are modeling the fact that Jesus was attractional. And we should be too. 
Jesus drew people to him all over the world, all over Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. People were drawn to Jesus. They saw him and they loved him and they found him. It says throughout the gospels that he couldn't do ministry the same way at the end of his life as he did in the beginning because there were too many people. He had to change the way he preached. He goes from preaching in people's houses to preaching out in courtyards of cities to preaching on hills to preaching in a boat in the water because there were too many people. They just kept drawing to him and flocking to him because of the nature of who he was and is. And he says, my church, my children, my people, you should be the same. People should be drawn to me in and through you. This has been, I think, for me, one of the grievous processing of the last three years of in the country we live in, in the U.S., that is not the tone and tenor of how people feel about the church of Christ Jesus. They don't seek and flock us out. We know statistically and factually that people are running from Christian influence. They are running from the church rather than being drawn to her. How do we allow the Holy Spirit to transform that in us again? Let's look at three ways that Jesus has called us to lead people to him. Three ways that we do this and allow him to transform us. We do it personally, we do it communally, and we do it globally. Three ways that Christ has called us, three concentric circles flowing out of us. And we'll look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus gives us this model. And you've heard this before from the church. We preach it often. If you've gone through growth track, we believe this is the model that God has called us to, Acts 1.8. This is Jesus speaking to the church before the Holy Spirit has shown up, but after his resurrection, giving them a charge and a call. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I share my faith off the back of the experiences I have with the living God. I share what I know and what I've experienced in Christ. When I read the Bible and His Spirit speaks to my spirit, a passage, a verse, a chapter, a story. When another Christian shares with me an encouragement or a testimony of where they heard God in their life or in mine or for this church. When we pray for someone to see God intervene miraculously in this world, and he does. From those experiences, we share what God is doing. And I want this to be very clear. We don't share a 2,000-year-old story of what Jesus did we share a present reality of what he is doing. We don't share a 2,000-year-old story of who Jesus was. We share a present reality of who he is in our lives, in our church, in our community. That Jesus is alive and well and speaking and moving in us through his spirit. And so first, how do we do this personally? You have a story to share. We each have a story to share. Your life is a story. Romans 12, verse 1, Paul says it like this. 
And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Your life is a story. The way you live, the choices you make, the people you're in relationship with, the actions you take, the things you read, the media you consume, how you encourage is a story of who Jesus is in and through you. And by that, I'm not saying that you need to live up to the standard of Jesus in order for that story to be heard. Sometimes our story is the moments we didn't live up to that standard and Christ showed his love to us anyway. That's your story. That's the story of what he's doing, him moving and working in our lives. Your life is a story. Your story is slightly different from my story. It's slightly different from someone else's story. But all of it is a story of God's grace and love being shown into us through his son, Christ Jesus. Learn your story. Work on your story. There's an exercise you can do that I think is super fruitful. It's write out your story. What has Christ meant to you? Maybe you've done this exercise years ago. Do it again. My story changes from year to year of what Christ has done and is doing. Write it on a page and then take that page and write it in a paragraph and then take that paragraph and write it in two sentences. What's the story of what Christ has done and is doing in your life? Know your story. Second, love others as a part of your story. The model I grew up in evangelism was know exactly how to tell the gospel story. I can draw on a little piece of paper that there's a piece of land here, a great chasm in the middle and a piece of land over here and there's no way to get from that piece of land to the other and then the cross falls across it and then we can get from one place to the other. And when I'm having relationship with people, I'm just in the back of my head trying to think, when can I tell that story? How can I get to this moment of the story? How can I get them there? But people aren't stupid and they realize you don't actually care about me you just want me to check off a box so you can feel like you've accomplished telling a story to me or getting me to think like you think. What Jesus did over and over again is genuinely love people. And by loving them, the character of who he was flowed out into them. His story was lived naturally through them. When we create relationships around us, just love people. Love them organically. Love them truly sacrifice for them. Do the things they want to do that you might not want to do. Do it anyway. Give time and sacrifice of your resources and time for the relationships of other people when they're sharing a story. And maybe it's a vapid story you've heard dozens of other times. Listen to the story and truly listen. And building that relationship, trust that the Holy Spirit will flow through you and work in you. And that Jesus can be seen in you you are investing in that relationship with Jesus. And then lastly, there will be moments where you share the story when the opportunity arises. Sometimes we get stuck in this middle one. You know, we use that quote that St. Francis said, 
preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. I'm going to tell you that is not a quote from St. Francis. He never said that. We attributed it to him. We've attributed it to St. Francis, to Augustine of Hippo. We've attributed it to a million different people. And I think what St. Francis would say, you got to use words, man. You got to talk. Otherwise, they're just going to think you're a nice person. At some point, the love overflowing out of us should beg someone to ask, how do you have hope in moments where you shouldn't be hopeful? How do you have joy in moments where you should be filled with sorrow? How do you continue to give in moments where it feels like others are hurting or taking advantage of you? How do you do that? And in that moment, be ready to say, it is Christ Jesus who lives in me. It is the fact that the God who made me, despite the fact that I am a broken sinner who has rejected him, came and died for me and extended the hand of grace back to me through his love and death and resurrection. When the opportunity arises, tell the story. Invite them into relationship and community. Peter writes it like this in his first letter, chapter 3, verse 15. If someone asks you about your hope as a believer, be ready to explain it. Think through your story and be ready to share it. Have your story to share personally. Secondly, we have a community to share it with. You don't, you're not just doing it alone. We're sharing this story together. We live in a community around us that needs the gospel. Paul writes this to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 1.5. He says, For when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. And you know of our concern for you from the way we lived when we were with you. From the way we lived. We are placed into a particular time and location intentionally because our God is intentional. We have a building here in Pennington, New Jersey, in Hopewell, Mercer County, because God is intentional and he wanted to place his story here. He wanted to build a mission here for his son. He put us here in 2023 in Pennington, New Jersey, because he has a mission for these people around us, because he wants to bring his love and grace and his kingdom to bear in our community. He wants his love to be known. We do this by investing in the community around us, by participating in communal activities, by eating where our community eats, by serving where they serve, by participating in every opportunity they give us to serve. We don't have to make up every ministry around here and invite them into the church. We can leave this building and go into our community and be present at harvest fairs and holiday walks and Pennington Days and Hopewell Arts presentations. We can be there and invest in the community and love them. And third, we have a part to play in a global and eternal mission. This is one of the most powerful truths of being a follower of Jesus. To ask ourselves the question of, I want to do great. I want my life to have meaning beyond hopefully passing on my genetic code to children who will have children who maybe will look like me and someone will tell them a story about me a hundred years from now. Maybe. But my life can matter by being a part of the global, universal, eternal testimony of Christ Jesus. That we get to be a part of a mission that's global 
and we get to be a part of a mission that is eternal, that has existed for 2,000 years and will continue to exist. As Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter 28, he says, I have been given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Be ready to share the story in the relationships God's given you. He's placed real people around you, really love them, and the greatest way to love them is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ through your life and when the opportunity arises with an invitation. He has brought us together to do that communal work we couldn't do alone, to transform a neighborhood, to transform a township with the goodness and grace of Jesus. And then he's taken our small reach and given us a global impact through our missions partners. We get to hear stories of the global mission in Turkey, of the global mission in Nicaragua, of the global mission in Antigua, the global mission in India. We get to hear about what God is doing around the world and we get to participate with them through our prayers, through our support, through our generosity. We get to have a global and eternal impact that we could not alone. Kingdom Builders is not just a clever program for us to ask you for money. It is an opportunity for us as a church to give generously and participate in the global mission God has called us to be about. That I can't go to every one of these nations. We can't go, but we can send and we can support and we can pray and partner. How do we lead people to Jesus outside of the church? I'm going to finish this with a kitschy cliche that I think is accurate. Think global, act local. This is the call of Christ. Think global, act local. Keep our mindset that we can be a part of impacting broken people in Ukraine who are in need during a war. And I can do that locally through giving, through praying, through loving my neighbor as Christ has loved me. Know your testimony. Practice living out that testimony in our neighborhood as Christ has loved us. And we can give generously so the world knows they are loved as we are loved. I want to finish on this. John 14, verse 6, Jesus tells us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through him. We have this sacred responsibility and the sacred privilege of sharing the beauty of God in Christ Jesus. There's no other way. There's no other avenue but Christ Jesus and that avenue is so very beautiful that we get to share. This year, 
2023 as a church body, we want to encourage you and equip you to not just be leading each other closer to Jesus, but to together be leading our community into the love and grace Christ has for them. So last week I asked you to pray and to discern where God was maybe pulling you into a new spiritual exercise this year, where to grow in that relationship. Today I want to challenge you in the story he's given you to share. In a moment, I'll invite the worship team up. I'll have elders up here on the left and the right. And I wanna challenge you to pray through what is your story? What's your story? What has Christ done in your life? Where is he continuing to work in your life? And invite the Holy Spirit to search you and to remind you of how good and faithful Christ Jesus is and has been and to ask him to put that story in the forefront of your heart that as Peter encouraged us, we would be ready to at every moment be able to share that story. We'll be up here to pray for you and just to pray that the Holy Spirit would seal that story in your heart, seal that testimony in you. If you even wanna talk it out, we would love, just talk out your story. What's God doing? Help you clarify where he's moving and working. We wanna pray that through with you. But first, as we close, I want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. And if you're in the room this morning and you can't say confidently that you have that story of Jesus in your life, that you can't say that I really know that God loves me and I know that Christ died for me and I have that relationship, I just want to give you an opportunity today to say yes to Jesus, to take a step into that story. And just to offer one prayer as a first step of saying, Jesus, I want to know you. I want to be a part of your story. I want your story to become my story. And I want to know how much I am loved by the God who has made me. If you are a follower of Jesus, use this as a moment of clarification and recommittal. Pray with me. Christ Jesus, I believe that you are God and you are man. You came to this earth. You lived a perfect life. You demonstrated love and grace and healing and transformation and power. And then you took my sins and the sins of this whole world onto your own shoulders and you died on the cross. That you were buried in the ground and on the third day you conquered death, you conquered sin for all eternity by rising from the grave. And that in that resurrection, I am now promised eternal life and forgiveness of my sins. Jesus, I believe that you died for me. In this moment, I commit my life to follow you. Jesus, will you be my Savior, my friend, and my Lord? In your name, amen. I'll invite you, if you can, all over the room to stand up with me. And we want to take a moment and invite the Spirit of God to speak to us. I believe that when we together as a church pray, when we seek God as one, He works in us through His Spirit. And I want to encourage you this morning not to leave this room without some clarification of what Jesus has done and is doing in your life. I guarantee you, you have a story. And you have a story that's worth sharing. 
So these altars are open. If you want to take a step forward as a demonstration of that story of Jesus, I am walking in this story. I am putting on your story. Our elders would love to pray over you and pray with you this morning. As the worship team leads us in song, the altars are open. I invite you to pray through what that story is of Christ Jesus in your life this morning.